0: Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Our guest this week is Christopher Finn, head of podcasts at Dundee-based publisher DC Thompson Media. I talk to Chris about the diverse podcast portfolio he oversees, ranging from sport and politics to gardening and social history, why he believes podcasting is the most intimate medium, which turns dull activities great, and his top tips for launching a successful podcast as an extension of your brand.
1: It is an incredibly intimate medium. It is, I I would argue, the most intimate medium. My voice is coming from the centre of your skull, and there's literally no way to get closer to somebody than through an audio uh, podcast.
0: Chris revealed some of the key insights from DC Thompson's podcasting strategy. How it enables them to build deeper relationships with existing audiences.
1: Podcasting is an incredibly sticky medium, so we can deepen these relationships with our our audiences and clasp them more tightly to our bosom.
0: How it can help to find new audiences.
1: We can find new audiences, you know, podcasting traditionally skews a little bit younger than most media, so we can onboard new audiences into our brands.
0: That it enables journalists to become more than just bylines.
1: Allowing them to sort of step out from behind the keyboard a little bit and 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 build a a more trusting and open and and informal and passionate and you know the kind of conversation you have in the pub
0: and last but not least, the importance of making money with podcasts.
1: You've got to make money we need podcasts to be not just you know fluffy little marketing vehicles for our brands, putting a good chunk of change into the bottom line.
0: We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire-based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high-speed web offset and sheet-fed printing, together with in-house saddle stitching, perfect binding and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low-cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. Chris Finn is Head of Podcasts at Dundee-based publisher DC Thompson, where his portfolio includes Scottish politics podcast The Stu the Dirt Gardening podcast from Grow Your Own magazine, Pass It On, a podcast sharing retro household tips from the 1950s, and no fewer than three separate podcasts covering Scottish football. Chris, welcome to the In Publishing podcast.
1: Uh, thank you so much for inviting me on, Kira. It's such an honour.
0: Um. Well, you're very welcome. And can we begin by talking about your journey in publishing to where you are now and what got you into podcasting? Well, there's never
1: really been a plan. I think that's an important thing to say, especially if people listening to this might be earlier in their career. And it's always quite, um, I find when I was younger and I'm 40 now, when I was younger, I find it quite intimidating hearing people talk about their careers and it always seems so planned and uh, conscious. But for me, there never really was. I spent most of my career in magazine publishing. I I worked uh, first with Dennis Publishing in London and then with Future Publishing in Bath. uh, And I left there in a huff. (laughs) And uh, I left as an editor in chief of a group of titles focusing on, uh, it was all tech titles that I was uh, uh, working with or in charge of. Um, And I did a little bit of um, freelance for a while, a bit of consultancy. Um, which I was quite enjoying, actually. I hadn't really expected to enjoy it, but uh, then um, DC Thompson uh, came and asked me if I would interview for a position here in Dundee, and my daughter at the time was about six months old, and we had been thinking about moving from Bath, where we were, back to Scotland, to be a bit nearer our families, and so all those things kind of uh, worked out. Um, there were some internal changes with the, the magazines that I was working with, um, and I uh, did a few different things in the company for a little bit, but then we'd been talking a little bit internally about creating a podcast strategy for DC Thompson Media. And I, um, for the first time in my career, really, <laughs> whatever age I was, 39, went, I, I, please let me do this. I want to do this. I think we could do something really interesting, and exciting and valuable here. And I'd like to be the one who did it. But, I mean, I, I've been listening to podcasts and radio for, for a long, long time. I, I remember being a university student. Uh, well, actually I remember, I think one of my earliest radio memories was, uh, Diana. Um, I really remember cause I used to come back from my waitering job and I'd put, um, radio four on, I was a very, very square teenager. I put radio <laughs> four on or the world service and listened to that. Um, and one of my earliest memories of, of, of something important was, um, was the, the death of Diana. But i had been listening to radio, whether it was, uh, talk sport, weirdly, I don't like sport, but I used to listen to James Whale and talk sport and a whole bunch of stuff. And then into uh, Radio, yeah, DAB actually. While I was commuting on a bus, and then into podcasts, and I just I've, they've always been a really um, uh, important point of coalescence for passions about stuff, and I I've really always responded to that.
0: Well, you clearly have a passion for podcasting. So, what do you think is the appeal of podcasting in particular?
1: Well, I'll give you two answers. One from the point of view of um, the punter, and one from the point of view of the publisher. Um, and for the punter, it's it's really for me that it the, 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 there's tons and tons of stuff, but the really key thing is that it turns dull activities great. You know, when you leave your house in the morning, when in those days when we used to do such a thing, when you just leave the house in the morning, dreading your hour on the tube, crushed up against somebody's armpit, um, or you've got to do you you've got to work out and you don't enjoy working out, or you've got the dishes to do, hoovering to do, whatever it is. Suddenly, those things become not the dull thing that is precipitating that period of time in your life but they become oh great now I can listen to right there's a new episode of can't yes, wait to catch yeah. up on I was halfway through and I want to see how it ends so it, the, the fact that these turns tur- tur- these delictivity is great that, that really that really matters I think and then from the other side of the fence from the publisher side of the fence it's that It is an incredibly intimate medium. It is, I I would argue, the most intimate medium. You know, if you're listening to this, to, to me talk right now on headphones, as most people do when they're consuming podcasts, changing a little bit now, but most people still listen on headphones. My voice is coming from the center of your skull and there's literally no way to get closer to somebody than through an audio uh, podcast and that intimacy is brilliant for uh, brand building and relationship building with the audience but it's also great for delivering a highly engaged audience whether that's for internal marketing reasons or internal editorial reasons or whether you want to deliver an audience that is valuable for advertisers so the fact that they turn these activities great and the fact that it's an incredibly intimate medium I think are two of podcasting's greatest strengths.
0: Well, I don't know if there is a formula for the perfect podcast, but could you tell us, uh, in your opinion, what are the common characteristics of a good podcast?
1: I think any good podcast is one that that, that serves and one that is respectful of its audience, right? Podcasting very often is uh, operates in very tight niches, not always but there are a million podcasts out there, uh, more than that. And generally speaking, they tend to hyper serve small uh, niche audiences very well. And you've got to, you've got to be respectful of your audience. And that means, uh, for one thing, delivering uh, valuable content for sure, but delivering in a way that is engaging for them and useful for them. And I don't mean useful in a sort of like, it doesn't have to be a you know, deeply practical thing, right? It, can, it could just be that it feeds their their passions, their picadillos, whatever it is that has brought them to you. So the content has to be relevant uh, to them. The personalities have to be uh, relevant for them. And actually, the editing needs to be decent as well. And the capture needs to be decent. So you know, it, it's definitely true that you could start a podcast today with nothing but your smartphone, and you could produce something that was, you know, seventy percent great. Um, but making some decisions about formats and structures, getting some decent kit in place, um, and doing a, a half-decent job on the editing to make this thing uh, slick so that it's not um, it's not flabby. All these things are are, are good characteristics of podcasts.
0: And, and regularity is important as well, isn't it? It seems to be
1: still, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was talking to, interestingly, I was talking to a producer at the BBC recently who was talking about the fact that, you know, there is this perception in podcasting that you can drop the podcast whenever you like because people will listen at odd times and that is definitely true you know we've only been doing this for a year and a half but if I look back to our very first episode that we published people are still listening to those and those are of podcasts that in theory are very time-based you know it's not evergreen stuff that you could you you would think would be consumed at any point it's you know weekly news-based stuff but people are still listening to them so it's definitely true that people do listen you know out of sequence and out of cycle but the point is definitely true still that People do like to have to have their podcast episodes drop at a particular time. To know that this episode comes out on a Thursday afternoon, and therefore at any point from Thursday afternoon until like the Monday or Tuesday, depending on when I can find a window of half an hour to listen to it, it will be there for me. Right. And I think that may begin to change a little bit. We're, we're you know we're still, especially people of our age here. Uh, we we still come from a uh, a, a tradition of uh, broadcast media where you know the bbc one showed a thing at a time <laughs> and so yes, on and yeah. so i think we've still got, kind of got that mindset but i i suspect that that will begin to change more and more um as uh the influence of and uh, i'm always very wary of people with gray hair as i have pontificating <laughs> on snapchat and tiktok and that sort of stuff but as, as the the kind of meta um characteristics of those tools, more and more inform um, media shapes and that's more and more how uh, generations coming into media are consuming and therefore will start to produce media, I think we'll begin to more and more break down that sort of, you know, regular pulse of something coming out at a particular time. But I will say that, you know, from the other side of the desk again, having a regular schedule it's just it's one thing less to think about yeah (laughs) it makes the deliverability of your podcast a bit more so uh never shy away from i don't think at least not for the next five ten years
0: oh that's interesting to hear so coming on to your podcast portfolio at dc thompson can you give us a brief overview of the different podcasts that you are responsible for
1: Absolutely. So you mentioned a few of them in, in the introduction. There are uh, 10 currently with um, some more in development, uh, one that's imminent, in fact. Um, I can't tell you anything about that yet, but it'll be super exciting okay. it, when we finally <laughs> release that. But we have, um, as you mentioned, The Dirt, which is our gardening and allotment podcast out of Grow Your Own. So, uh, And you will, you will detect no pattern <laughs> in these podcasts because DC Thompson Media's portfolio is so broad particularly with the acquisition of um, PSP Media and Aceville uh, in the last couple of years. So it's a very, very broad portfolio. So The Dirt, which are Gardening Allotment podcast, The Stushy, our Scottish politics podcast you mentioned. We have three football podcasts. Indeed, two of those are covering the two Dundee teams. So we've got The Courier, Talking Football, and Twa Teams, One Street, both of which cover Dundee FC and Dundee United. And then Northern Gold which comes out of um, the Aberdeen Journals offices in Aberdeen, so that's Aberdeen FC, uh, Ross County, Co. Rangers, the Highland League. We've got Bunkered as well out of PSP that covers uh, golf. Pass it on. You mentioned as a sort of social history podcast. And Then there's a couple of business ones. We've got Energy Voice Out Loud that is targeted at the energy industry, uh, oil, gas, and renewables. And the Global Franchise Podcast, which serves the franchise community uh, across the world. And then the last one to mention is Author in Your Classroom, which is uh, a podcast in which we, we virtually bring authors such as the Children's Laureate, Dara Breen, uh, Dermot O'Leary, uh, Connie Huck. We bring a lot of publishers, uh, sorry, authors into the classroom to talk about their work uh, to the students. And that's, a, that's associated to plazoom.com, which is our uh, education resource site and there's an education pack that goes along with each of those episodes so that you can listen to the episodes it's broken into three sections. The second section also includes the author reading their work, and then there's a, a pack of activities that the teacher can then just give the kids to to, to do from that. So it is an incredibly broad uh, portfolio, but one thing you, you, you will, the, the only sort of common thread in there is that they are almost all very niche uh, subjects. And I think you know, if you'd said to me, Chris, will you go away and launch two football podcasts, both about Dundee and Dundee United, I might have raised an eyebrow at you. Um, but that kind of came out of the fact that you know we have two newspapers here in Dundee. We've got a daily and an evening newspaper, and they both have very different voices, and they both talk about local issues in very different ways. But they they both have a very strong sports section, and so you know, serving those communities that will be ignored by uh, the mainstream media broadcast uh, apparatus. It's great. And in fact, we had one of uh, our journalists on uh, the BBC Scotland um, uh, sport podcast off the ball. Uh, sorry, I called it a podcast radio program uh, recently. And uh, the presenter there, who is a local lad, was talking about the fact that it is great that we've got uh, organizations like ours that will hyper serve their local community. So I think they're, they're, uh, there's a huge appetite for this stuff, even if the numbers of people who might engage with it are comparatively small.
0: So, as you say, a very diverse portfolio. But you did mention that you came into this role um, looking at a podcast strategy. So, can you tell us more about what that strategy and what your objectives are?
1: Yes. So, there there are four main uh, there were and remain four main uh, planks to the reasons we would do this. The podcast strategy, if you like. The first one is to enable us to build deeper relationships with our audiences, because podcasting is an incredibly sticky medium we get multiple 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 times the engagement rates with our podcasts than we would get for their uh, analogous uh brand expressions in print or online or in any other uh, format so it's an incredibly sticky medium so we can deepen these relationships with our our audiences and clasp them more tightly to our bosom we can find new audiences you know podcasting traditionally skews a little bit younger than most media that publishing companies of DC Thompson media's statue will traditionally um, operate in. So we can onboard new audiences into our brands. We can sort of analogous to the first point, really, we can, we can make our journalists be more than just bylines. You know, we can really uh, expose them as 360 degree full rich people with, um, there's always a, this is always a trick. I never worked out a good way to articulate this, right? So bear with me as we think this through in real time. I want, especially our news journalists, when they're on their podcasts, to allow themselves not to be completely objective. Now, there's a risk inherent in that, right? You understand there's a risk inherent in that, that that our our audiences might start to think. Take our football podcast, for example. If we have for decades been uh, been accused of bias in favor of Dundee FC and Dundee United in the same breath by different people... um, Uh, it's just part of the the gig, right? You'll always be uh, accused of bias by one side or the other. And the fact that you're accused of bias by both is always uh, a good sign. But anyway, um, if you're accused of that bias, if then one person on that panel allows themselves to be seen as supporting one or other of those teams, then there's a risk to the uh, reputation for objectivity that you have as a newspaper journalist. So it's an incredibly difficult balance to strike. And yet it is a really valuable thing to do. And I think part of that is because we are I maintain still moving into a post-brand era where more and more people are responding to to people and to personalities rather than they are to brands. And so allowing, you know, Graham Finnan and Callum Woodger and George Cran and Sean Hamilton and Eric Nicholson uh, and Jim Spence, allowing these people who, who have been, you know, grafters, you know, putting in the hours, publishing really good content for Many, many years, allowing them to sort of step out from behind the keyboard a little bit and 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 build a a more trusting and open and and informal and passionate and you know the kind of conversation you have in the pub right um, yeah and i don't think those two things need to be in opposition. I think you can have your authoritative declarative uh news journalism and you can have podcasts sitting alongside that that are a little more nuanced and fun. Let's see if we can um um carry that off and sorry, and then the last thing just before we go on, the yeah. last thing was just make money right you know we you've got to make money that's that's there in the in the strategy. We need podcasts to be not just you know fluffy little marketing vehicles for our brands but actually things that are self sustaining at least and then that are actually putting a good chunk of change into the bottom line.
0: So out of that portfolio, are there any of the podcasts which have raised particular challenges? I'm, I'm sure there have been challenges with all of them, but are, are there any that you can mention uh, and, and why has that been the case?
1: Um, well, I'll come on to one in a sec, but what I will say as well is that the podcasts that have given me the most challenges have not seen the light of day. We've, uh, you know, if, if it's right. been things that have that have. For whatever reason, and there have been several reasons, and I can sort of touch on them in, a, in the abstract. For whatever reason, these podcasts haven't worked. We just haven't launched them, and I think that's a, a good and valuable thing to do. It's 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 the old it's say no to stuff more than you say yes to stuff thing. Um, so we've seen uh, issues with, you know, it, sometimes it has been too much of a um, handbrake turn for some people within the organization to switch to this way of storytelling, and. We have had issues with, you know, buy-in and political will, if you like, for doing stuff. We've had difficulty with, um, you know, jostling for priorities uh, in uh, an ever-shifting media environment. So, you know, depending on the this, this stage that a brand is at in its uh, journey, it may be that they are looking with great relish at adding new media channels to allow them to engage with people in different ways. If they're at a different part of the journey, they might be looking more at consolidating a position or uh, hunkering down on a particular strategy. So we've definitely had those kind of challenges, but to answer your question a bit more, um, a bit less abstractly and a bit less obliquely. I think The Dirt has been our most difficult podcast to get off the ground. Now, The Dirt is a gardening allotment podcast that is associated to Grow Your Own magazine. It is now in its third season. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. But it is a very complex thing. And 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 so the, the, the challenge is not so much... I mean, if you listen to it, I, I hope and pray if you listen to it, you it would sound fairly effortless because we've done a lot of work to make sure that that is the case. Um, but behind the scenes, it is a very complex edit. We have uh, guests on every show, which adds its uh, own uh, uh, logistical overhead. We've done a lot of high-profile partnerships. So in this season, for example, we're partnering with the National Trust, um, yes. which is great and exciting, but again, brings its own challenges. Um, there's lots of editing you need, especially now we're all recording over the net using uh a system like ZenCast or a SquadCast or Cast or any a number of these systems that will allow you to have, you know, independent audio from each of the participants. But that brings in a lot of editing, and the more raucous and informal the conversation is, with cross talk and you know people, two people talking at once, and then you know one person goes or whatever, the more that needs to be edited. And also, you know, the team's based in Colchester, and I'm here in Dundee. Now, in the before times, I did go down a few times to do some producing work, uh, work as a producer with them to, you know, make them think about the way to tell these stories and and give them some confidence and get them used to the kit and all that sort of stuff. But it is all completely uh, done remote, even before we switched over to recording um, over the the web. But given all that, it is our biggest show, and it's the one that makes me consistently incredibly happy because it is warm and sweet and uh, charming and a brilliant brilliant uh, adjunct to the main brand so the main brand the magazine's about you know how to grow the best tomatoes or whatever whereas the dirt is about gardening failures and it's about celebrating the fact that you know things uh I was gonna say don't always go right but things never go right in the allotment yes, or in the garden right. when you're growing fruit or veg now you'll know that here I know you're a keen uh gardener yeah, but yeah, indeed. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the sheer kind of warmth of that show makes it all completely worth it.
0: So when you are doing the dishes uh, or, or some other mundane activity, um, what podcasts do you listen to and admire outside of your own portfolio?
1: Well, that's an interesting question, in part because it's one of the the greatest sadnesses of uh, the pandemic for me is that uh, my main podcast listening opportunity was on my uh, eight mile a day commute on the bike. And I don't have that anymore. Now, you can easily argue, Chris, you you can, but you can still go out and cycle, mate. It's fine. Just go and cycle. Um, But without that kind of uh, obligatory 20 minutes each way, each day, I've kind of lost a huge portion of the chunk of time that I would sit listen to podcasts. And when you're sitting in, in an audition all day, as I tend to do editing stuff, it's not the case that I don't want to listen to podcasts at the end of that. I really, really do. But it's that, I, I like, <laughs> you might find this as well, Kier, but... I, one of the one of the greatest sadnesses of being a podcast guy is that I can't listen to music while I work anymore. <laughs> I can't just sit and put you know a nice album on or something or you know stick a Spotify playlist on because I need to be listening to the thing I'm editing. And so I just I, I, the the opportunities to listen to stuff are squeezed out of my day, which is a real pain because there are tons and tons of podcasts I really enjoy. Now I, in common with respect, a lot of people, started off my podcast journey listening to podcasts that were essentially radio shows repackaged and republished as podcasts the BBC here in the UK I spoke to a lot of people in, in the US who do a similar thing with NPR but now it's a it's a, it's a smorgasbord so uh, I am ready for this question I was ready for this question because it's a question people always ask me so let me give you uh five uh podcasts that I listen to currently um don't ever call these my favorite podcasts because <laughs> it changes okay. all the time but these <laughs> okay. are five that I adore just now top of the list is 20,000 hertz now, twenty thousand hertz is a podcast about sound, um, all different aspects of sound. But the thing that I adore about twenty thousand hertz is, it is produced by a sound design studio, and it the production values are off the chart. It is an absolute, just my producer senses tingle every time I listen to it. I couldn't do this. There's no way I could do, uh, produce work of this quality yet in my uh podcasting and producing career i'll get there but i can't do it yet and it is just so joyous to listen to somebody to listen to an organization producing something of such incomparable apparently effortless quality and it's also just completely fascinating so i adore that um next on the list fortunately which is a bbc podcast uh, with fee glover and jane garvey um uh I, I, it's a very dangerous podcast to recommend to people because it's a sort of podcast that everyone thinks they can do because it's just two people sitting down having a chat. Um, they bring a guest in as well every episode, but the, the kind of the, the the charm of it is isn't just in Fee and Jane having a chat. Uh, and it's a dangerous one to recommend because everybody thinks they can do that. And unless you are uh, both fascinating uh, and charming and also have had 20, 30 years of radio experience under your belt, you can't do that, I submit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it takes a huge amount of discipline to, be able to do that really, really well. Uh, Off Menu is another favorite. Now, it's a huge podcast. A lot of people listening to this will, will know and love Off Menu. It is a, a comedy podcast. Well, it's not a comedy podcast. It's a funny podcast from James A. Castor and uh oh god i've forgotten the other chap's name anyway those two um ed gamble there it is finally came into my head and it is uh it's a really good it's a good podcast to recommend because it's a podcast based on a structure and uh there there's a a a really simple rubric and it is they get a guest in and they ask him his favorite main course so starter main course drink dessert and side dish and they just but 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 it's a a really simple structure around which just anarchy happens of course as you'd expect and they tend to be interviewing other comedians in this dream restaurant so it's it's a really good example it is like i'm kind of i'm really torn with these because part part of me is just like these are the podcasts i love and part of me is like i know people will be listening to me talking and thinking okay but what can we do Uh, that, that is that what were the lessons that we can apply to to our business and i think with off menu it's that really simple message of come up with a structure and then riff on that so that's brilliant on a purely personal level, I adore Lingthusiasm. It's a podcast that's enthusiastic about language. It is quite a nerdy podcast about etymologies and, and the structure of language and phonemes and a whole bunch of stuff. I, I'm not academically interested or I don't have an academic background in this, but I find it really, really fascinating. And it's a really good example of a podcast that you know started with two, two friends, two professional linguists who recorded this thing and put it out. It started off very ropey quality, but it's got much, much better. Uh, it has accreted a whole bunch of different um, brand extensions as part of that. So they've got merch, they do live shows, they have a Patreon where people can um, directly support them. There's no advertising on it. And again, incredibly, incredibly, incredibly niche, but they they really lean into the nicheness of it and they build a utterly compelling show uh, because of it. And it's just, it's just perfectly pitched. You know, very occasionally they stray, I think a little too much into academia, but they always pull it back and make it, broadly applicable to anybody outside of their particular specialism, So that's great. And then finally, the one that I always recommend as one of my favorites is The Week Unwrapped. Now, most people working in publishing will know The Week. It is a phenomenon. It is a hugely successful thing. And it's also a brilliant magazine. And if you don't know it, go out and get it. It's a really good example of how you can do publishing really well, in which they, take, uh, they digest basically The Week's news from a whole bunch of uh, uh, media outlets into a single weekly uh, magazine small format magazine. The Week Unwrapped is a really brilliant adjunct to that for a a bunch of reasons. One, it's just incredibly listenable to, really fascinating, very, very charming. um, And uh, just, uh, it's a really good way to uh, think about stuff that's happening in the world without thinking about, it's not, and this is the genius of it. It's, It's about the stories that have passed under the radar. So it's not about the US election. It's not about Brexit. It's not about coronavirus but it is about things that are happening in the world that do have repercussions for everybody. And it's a brilliant example of how you can produce something that is uh, a partner to and an extension of and uh, 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 an enrichment of your main brand without replicating that brand. It doesn't seem to replicate what the week does, but it takes an element of it that works really well and it runs with it. And it's a, it's a, it's a joy. So that, that's one that I'm always really happy to, to see pop up on my phone.
0: Well, there's some great suggestions there, thank you. Um I, I'm I'm gonna go away and listen to some of those that I that I, I don't know. And come
1: back and tell me what you think of them. Yes. I really yes, I, I really, I really want to
0: hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so uh in March this year at the Publisher Podcast Awards, you were named Publisher Podcast Hero of the Year 2020 which is quite an accolade Um, and the judges said they were looking for someone who is eager to make the technology and production processes beneficial to a publisher's workflow and who is a true inspiration to anyone looking to launch their first or their next podcast Um, and drawing from that um, firstly I'd like to ask what would you say are the main podcast production challenges facing publishers today?
1: Well, that's really easy. It's just the fact that we're all uh, remote just now. Everybody's recording over the net for one reason or another. Now, that brings some advantages, and all the teams I've worked with have suddenly gone, oh, it's actually really, you know, know, it's no harder to bring a guest in than it is to record with everyone uh, because, you know, whereas before it might be, you know, all going to get around this table how do we bring a guest in do we get them to come here do we get them to phone in how do we record that phone call all this sort of stuff whereas now everybody's on the same uh, playing field so that definitely brings some advantages and from a pure production process uh, standpoint as well it brings some advantages and the system that you and I are recording on today is the one that we use as well. And like um, others like it, it produces a, an individual sound file for me and an individual sound file for you. So you can drop this into your audio workstation. You've got completely isolated audio so that if I've been quite good, I'm a good boy, I've got everything shut off and everything's, you know, doors are closed and my daughter's at school and I don't have a dog. <laughs> but if there was any of that sort of noises off happening, you could easily delete that out in the edit. Um, yeah. uh, or if, you know... You, if I'm in mid-flow and you think you're going to interrupt me and then you, you change your mind, you can easily edit out your... I'm I, I just going to... Because, you know, it's easy to do that. So there are some advantages to it. But it, as I'm, it, those advantages do not outweigh the massive pain it is to deal with the recording over the net. Um, part of it is just ensuring audio quality for one thing and we're lucky that we've got about 30 odd mics now with each individual podcast we're standardized in a particular microphone that gives really good results wherever you are and they just plug straight into your laptop so that helps but even if we're working with external guests we've got to onboard them and deal with all their stuff now this is something you're very familiar with as well here doing this yeah. podcast yeah um uh, but even allowing for all that the biggest challenge is once you get everything into your your audio workstation um, there are delays on the internet, and those delays create little gaps between somebody asking a question and somebody answering it. They create gaps between somebody um, uh, making a joke and somebody laughing, which often makes the laughter sound quite sarcastic. And, you know, as I, as I said before, if two people start talking at once, you've got to sort of untangle that. And that's all totally fine. And I pride myself in the fact that across our 10 podcasts, I, I would submit they sound better than a lot of podcasts do that were recorded with everybody sitting around the table all at once on high quality equipment. But it's at a cost and that cost is time and also my hairline um, to try to polish these things up. Now, if it's just, you know, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, it's generally okay. But the more conversational and informal it is uh, and the longer it is, the more that work piles up and it's, it's, a, it's a significant challenge.
0: Well, as you say, we we launched the In Publishing Podcast um in the middle of the first lockdown, so so those challenges sound very familiar. Um and and my next question, um still um touching on um your award and, and the fact that you were cited as a, a an inspiration to anyone looking to launch their first or next podcast, what would your advice be for publishers thinking of launching a new podcast?
1: Well, you need to plan uh and you need to test so you know plan not and when i say plan i don't just mean you know do your launch plan and your marketing plan and, and everything else so so but that you, know, you need to do that as well for sure but uh give some thoughts to format and innovation around format you know not everybody not every podcast has to be just a bunch of people sitting around talking about stuff you can innovate around that an example i often quote there is a podcast called for a bad time call, and that's a podcast entirely predicated on the fact that there was a voicemail number set up, and women could phone up and just rant about stuff for two minutes. Uh, and it was about you know inequalities of gender in the workplace and in life and everything else. And they could just phone up and rant about it, and then they would just sort of stitch these together uh, and put it as a podcast. Now, that's I've uh, you know in a, in format terms quite innovative very innovative uh i but think about how that could apply to you your brand even even literally that right if you are a grazia or you are uh a stylist or you are uh even something like in publishing <laughs> yeah. know, people anonymously ranting <laughs> and do have a vocal changer <laughs> on them anonymously ranting about their their job or the industry they're in or something that's quite interesting please don't do that Uh, it sounds like a minefield (laughs) the libel suits come, come out of that anyway but you know think about those format choices but then test it record some pilots that never show the light they never see the light of day assure people they will never see the light of day actually on that the podcast that we are going to launch next, we did that pilot of, and we are going to launch it because there was a thing that happened in it that was just exceptional. And we have to share it, but we're going to we're going to keep it until like four or five episodes in, um, because it was recorded on like people's laptops and it sounds crap, but um, but the, the content is still good enough. But we're going to let that podcast bed in a little bit with some good quality and then do a sort of like, and we recorded this pilot and we weren't going to share it with you, but just listening, you'll you'll see why. Um, but you've got to do that pilot thing and then let key stakeholders within the organization. Listen to it and see what they think of it, and just you know, try and listen to it while you're doing the dishes, or you're walking the dog, or you're um, commuting, or something. In the way that people would actually listen to it, don't sit there and you know stare at it intently, stare at the, the playhead on a on your phone intently as you listen to it. You know, do it as you're as you would listen to it. So that's one thing. Plan and test definitely. You need to set some expectations internally, but what these will be, you know, for all I adore podcasts, and for all uh, you know, we are still experiencing sort of um, growth of sort of 17% month on month across our portfolio every single month. Um, the numbers are still comparatively small and you need to understand where the value is in those numbers. You know, it's a highly engaged, they spend multiple, multiple hours a month with a uh, podcast, whereas they might only spend a couple of minutes transactionally on a website, all that sort of stuff. But you need to make sure that your internal stakeholders, whether that's, you know, uh, people who sign things off or whether it's just the team themselves make them understand how what that might you know they might not be super excited with the numbers internally but that brings me to my last point which is do it and keep doing it do it because uh the 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 risks and costs are comparatively small it's nothing like the the, the old pivot to video um you can do this very very cheaply very quickly very low touch um and so you should Think about how you can, but you should. And then keep doing it is the really key thing as well. You know, most podcasts, when, when they launch, they have a little spike of interest and it sort of goes down and it sort of bubbles away for a long time doing basically nothing. And then eventually that trend line starts to trend up and up and up. And eventually you start to see some really exciting numbers out of this. And that comes from just ambiently advertising it and, and marketing it. But it also comes from just keeping doing it trust yourselves you're, you're, you're launching an entirely new thing but trust yourselves you're professionals you know how this works you know what good editorial storytelling is trust yourselves that you're building something good if you're not if you suddenly go i think we're doing a bit crap here then go back and change it but trust that you can do something good do it and keep doing it
0: it's been reported that most podcasts fail seven episodes in um yeah. w- w- why do you think that is
1: that's definitely true. I, I would say that's true, or at least it is uh, an oft-reported uh, stat from people who do kind of meta-analysis on uh, the podcast market. I think we don't have to necessarily worry about that as professional publishers, really, because that I suspect that number is being highly skewed by the fact that most podcasts, as I say, there's over a million out there, most of them get you know a few dozen downloads an episode because mostly they're hobbyists uh, and it's people in bedrooms and they're marketing to their mates and that's pretty much as far as they go and then they just get disheartened or they uh you know life changes and their priorities change and they have to go off and do something else now i i i will be at pains to to say i do not think that you know podcasters who sit in their bedrooms making podcasts about whatever it is they care about are deluded or bad people those are incredibly valuable uh podcast and it makes me sad that so many of them do stop after seven episodes um just because you're not getting tens of thousands of downloads per episode doesn't mean to say you're not producing something of value for the people who do listen to it but i think that's kind of where that number comes from that seven episode pod fade it's called that pod fade comes from seven episodes in because they get a bit disheartened they just they they change the only other thing i'll add to that though is about uh, deliverability this is something that I bang the drum on a lot. And I was, you know, you've referenced the award I got last year, this year, which was uh, intensely. Uh, uh, I was so pleased to get it. We didn't know that award existed. Um, and I was humbled and delighted to get it. But one of the things they particularly highlighted was about workflow. And it's something I've been banging on about a lot because we need to make these projects deliverable because if they're not, you won't keep doing them. Um, they need to be easy to produce. And I, I remember in my days as an editor, editor-in-chief, if I wanted to do something like this, not necessarily a podcast, but anything outside the regular beat of the magazine or the websites that I was in charge of, I'd have to invent it all myself. I'd have to invent the wheel myself. But, and I was really keen at DC Thompson Media that if we were going to do podcasts, I would be able to say to editorial teams, walk into a room with a, a, a few jotted down notes, I'll press record, and then you have to walk out of that room afterwards and everything else will be done for you um because otherwise the 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 barrier to the friction involved in putting those things out could be could be too great now not just that but ensuring the format is something that can be, you know, delivered time and time again without too much hassle. And some of our podcasts are that classic. Just, you know, people sit down, they chat for half an hour, and they stand up and walk out again. Some of them are more structured. Energy Voice Out Loud, for example, is a is a three segment show. It's a three handed show with three of the editorial or changing cast of the three uh, team members, and they come on and each one brings a news story, you know, delivers it, and then they have a chat about it, and then they move on. But even stuff like that can 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 really really help. And I think. Having that focus on deliverability uh, from a technical point of view with templates and, you know, pre-built feeds and music and and everything else, but also from an editorial point of view is really key. So I think if you want to avoid pod feed, set your expectations uh, on numbers, but then also ensure that you're giving yourself the best possible chance of delivering the podcast that you want to put out. Um.
0: Now, you've talked about your own strategy, but when it comes to publishers um, in general, where do podcasts typically sit as part of their commercial strategy?
1: Well, it's very nascent at the moment, isn't it? it it's still, we're, mm. you know, we're still very much figuring this out. Uh, everyone is. Um, uh, the States is a good bit ahead of us in the UK on that, and you know, we should try to close that gap as quickly as possible um but it's still quite nascent from a a publisher point of view there are some uh people doing some really good innovative things look at the economist for example which uses its podcast in fact the week unwrapped one i recommended which uses its podcast very strongly as an onboarding vehicle into the parent reification of the brand so you know offers for subscribers and that sort of stuff um commercially it's a bit more challenging uh if you there are two um, Commercially, is a bit more challenging because the numbers are so small and especially in this country, the advertisers are uh, so ill-educated about the benefits of advertising on podcasts. And so that's a a, a big challenge for, editor, for for commercial teams to work out how to have that part of their storytelling. For us, certainly, just now, the main strategy is to sell uh, sponsorships And to do that as part of a broader commercial package with key clients. So, nothing particularly innovative uh, um, from a a structural point of view, but being able to uh, bring the podcast into that commercial offering uh, is valuable for our commercial teams because, apart from anything else, it it gives them something interesting and, and novel to talk about, but it also demonstrates that, unlike a lot of publishers, we're not just. You know, circling the wagons and managing decline. We are investing, innovating, and driving our editorial and our, our commercial f- strategies forward.
0: So, my next question was about making money, but but you've really uh, probably covered that. I mean, the two main ways are firstly onboarding people to your brand,
1: yeah. and
0: secondly um, sponsorship. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. and I think with mm.
1: sponsorship in particular. That's that's certainly for for most publishers. I would rec I I would, I would suggest um of of moderate size. That's going to be the key um uh, benefit there because of course you can you know it's in some ways a very very old fashioned and classic way of selling advertising right because it's it's not programmatic it's not um audience segmentation uh, or rather it's not programmatic audience audience segmentation it's just you know if you are Sutton's organic seed catalogue. Uh, you know that if you advertise on The Dirt, that was our launch partner for The Dirt, if you advertise on The Dirt, you're going to be reaching an audience that is relevant to you. And that's, you know, it's the old thing with um, uh, specialist publishers um, that they can attract a niche audience. And that niche audience is then important to to, to advertisers because they're not there's no, there's no wasted dollars there. You know, it's different to putting an ad in the independent where, you know, you might have a, a, a cut-through rate of single-digit percentages. Whereas for us... Being able to promote into these podcasts is really key. There are two other things I'll throw into the mix. One is events, and it's not one we've done all that much with yet, but we are def- it's definitely on our radar to do. Um, if you look at the classic, my dad wrote a porno. Uh, podcast which I highly recommend Uh, it is exceptionally not safe for work but I highly recommend it Um, that started off again just a couple of people uh, three people around a kitchen table recording the podcast and then they sold out the Albert Hall they do events, they do live events look at um, Guilty Feminist podcast, they do live events and screenings and stuff all the time so you can sell tickets to recordings of your podcast or in other ways reach out there or or, or bring it in as part of a, a broader event strategy that you have, that's definitely one thing and then the last one is uh, dynamic ads, which is, uh, I think, where actually most people reach for from the get go with podcasting, which is quite a sloppy way of thinking. I think it's just you know, oh, well, it's the old let's build an editorial product and then we'll just put some ads in and that'll that'll be what make money, right? And so with dynamic ads, then you know, you upload your podcast, you tell your podcast host at you know this timestamp and this timestamp you may put in ads. And then you do a little bit of audience matching and the ads are put in dynamically uh, for you. The challenge for that and the reason that we're not, even (laughs) we're not doing it. um, And I'm laughing at myself when I do that because we are still a reasonably small uh, player in this space. But the reason even we're not doing that is you need to have a phenomenal scale for that to be making money. The CPM for that will be somewhere in the region of between maybe four pounds and 10 pounds. If you're very lucky. Um, And so you need to be uh, generating tens of thousands of downloads, hundreds of thousands of downloads, to, for in order for it to be generating any kind of uh, significant revenue into your bottom line. And I would submit that actually the the chance to uh, piss off your audience with advertising at that scale will actually retard your growth early doors than it would be uh, later on. It's important for us to have commercial partners for stuff, but we'd rather handpick those partners than just to open up to a to an ad exchange like DAX or a cast and then just have stuff uh, chucked on there. But I also am quite, quite definitive when I say things like that, but I'm constantly thinking about it and worrying about it and trying to think whether we made the right call. I mean, there there are some uh, advantages to, for example, um, allowing those ads into your podcast, even just from an optics point of view, you know, because, you know, if you're getting adverts for small local companies, even though those might be a better, a better relevant fit, and even actually if they're generating um, more revenue for you than a, a dynamic ad serving partner would be, you know, balance that against the fact that if you use a dynamic dynamic ad serving partner, you might get ads for Audi and Jaguar and Breitling or whoever. <laughs> it's probably a little bit um, over, uh, excited, but you know, you'll get ads for large national and supranational uh, brands in there. So there might be an argument just from a, an optics point of view for, for doing something like that. Anyway, I'm still thinking. <laughs>
0: Um, Now, I know you can't tell us about this uh, new podcast that you've got coming up, but is there anything you can uh, let us in on about uh, developments uh, on the horizon for uh, podcasting at DC Thompson?
1: Yes. So we're we're definitely ramping up those partnerships that I talked about, as I say, seriously, the dirt, episode one of which just came out last week as we record this, uh, is in partnership with the National Trust. And things like that are really important for us as a way of uh, deepening our audience reach right so the national trust has nine hundred thousand followers on twitter so when they tweet about us on there that really helps us so those kind of partnerships um, are an important part of our strategy going forward we're also really ramping up the stushy which is our politics podcast um with a kind of scottish uh slant um and Part of the reason we're putting so much effort into that as a as a brand. And th- now that's a really interesting example, actually, because that's a brand that sits across our newspaper portfolio. So we have, uh, it sits across the Courier, the Press and Journal, which are the number uh, two and one regional papers in the UK, respectively. So it goes across those as well as the Evening Telegraph, the Evening uh, Express and the Sunday Post. So um that's a, a, a interesting uh, experiment for a published company like ours as a way of you know, using its existing brands in in, an interesting way. So we're ramping that up ahead of the likely Hollywood elections in spring of next year. And again, part of that is explicitly about bringing, you know, making our, our, um, our journalists be more than a byline uh, on a, on a page or on a screen and, and allowing that in, as we, as we reach towards those elections for the Scottish parliament, that we are positioned as the voice of, um, uh, journalism in scotland ahead of those elections so things like that are really important for us um just a ton of stuff that that new launch i'm talking about is really cool I'm in the middle oh man i really wish i could tell you about it but we're (laughs) in the middle of um recording the theme tune for it and i say recording the theme tune for it so normally we would use um a stock library right like shutterstock or getty or any one of the big libraries that have got um music in their library we'd normally use that but in this case We've discovered there is a piece of music um which is appropriate uh let's say, and we want to get that recorded, so we're in the middle of trying to work out how we can do that in the in the teeth of the pandemic um but there's just so much so much fun stuff coming up i'm I'm super excited
0: um well, it sounds like you've you've got a lot of uh, good stuff coming um what do you see as the main trends in podcasting more generally going forward?
1: Some of them are good. Some of them give me pause and um, siloization is a big one as, as companies try to, as big companies try to come in and, and extract direct revenue from podcasting. We're seeing, um, uh, you know, podcasts become exclusive to Spotify, for example, as Spotify invests hundreds of millions into podcasting. Uh, we see um, things like Luminary starting up as a kind of Netflix for podcasting. And I kind of worry a little bit that I'm, I'm enough of an old hippie to, really like the idea of the open web and you know. podcasting is based on a, on a incredibly open format it's it's, X, it's rss which is an xml based format There's, and that brings some some pains but some advantages as well but yeah monetization is a big one monetization is obviously huge as part of that just generally making more money out of this stuff accountability is really key in terms of uh, uh being able to report uh, numbers back to advertising partners all of that's kind of the business side of things, but but one thing I'll I'll pick out as a as a broader meta trend here is just the surfacing of underrepresented voices. It's one of the key things that podcasting can do. And I'm, it's one of the things that makes me most excited to be working in this medium, is it can it can it can easily, easily onboard underrepresented voices, whether that's in gender, race or sexuality, whatever it happens to be, and give them a platform um that is it it's it's the democratization of publishing same thing we've been seeing since ever the internet was invented um but that's a really key thing and i think we'll see a much greater plural, plurality of voices and uh, perspectives as part of the national conversation going forward and that can only be a good one.
0: um brilliant well finally outside of work what do you do to relax
1: outside of work not a concept um <laughs> Uh, I, I have a five-year-old daughter so we do a lot of stomping through woodlands that sort of stuff I, I mentioned that I really enjoy cycling I don't get a chance to do it very much I'm a big advocate of e-bikes electric bikes as a way of getting around town and doing uh, chores as well as doing leisure stuff uh telly I love to consume I, I, I remember identifying years and years ago that the more intense my media production goes in in the daytime the more I want to not produce anything in the evening <laughs> <laughs> and so while there's a part of me that really wants to sort of start doing some ceramics and there's a part of me I went to art school as a part of me wants to get back into doing some drawing uh, there's definitely a part of me that just goes once my daughter's asleep there will be gin and there will be the good life uh the good place sorry uh, and the good life that's, that's not a great show <laughs> yeah um, let's uh, go back <laughs> into that <laughs> and there will just be sitting on the city and, uh, consuming the brilliant stuff that other people have made.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from. Brilliant. Well, um, Chris, thank you so much for being our guest on the in publishing podcast. My pleasure. A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714 299 105 or by email at matthew.carey at acornweb.co.uk. Thanks, Chris, for being our guest this week. I, for one, can definitely learn from his insights into how to make great podcasts. You can find out more about DC Thompson Media at dctmedia.co.uk and you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Finn. If you would like to get in touch with us, then our email address is editorial at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and please join me next week on the In Publishing podcast.